Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. Carl Matchett, two days after Liverpool 2, Real Madrid 5. How are you? I'm 5, Dave. How are you too? I am absolutely furious still. Still. Yeah, it was a, it was a thing, wasn't it? It was I a mean, pathetic thing. I mean, it was... It was good to see that I was correct, although our predictions were based on full-time, not half-time. Um, beyond that, struggling. Struggling for positives. I think the first 20 minutes was a positive. The attacking part of the first 20 minutes. Yes, the attacking part of the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, I thought Virgil looked good for the first 20 minutes. And then it started to wobble. Mm. It got very wobbly. It did get wobbly. And then it fell over. And then someone picked it up at half time and put it back on the table and then took a sledgehammer to it and smashed it all to little pieces. I mean... That second half, Carl, is the most embarrassing display we have seen under Jurgen Klopp, in my view, because... It wasn't just that we were poor. We didn't fight. There was no trying. There was no energy, no effort, no determination, no gnarl. Their players were knocking the ball around, having themselves a good old time on 60, getting olayed by their fans. And none of our lads thought, you know what, I'm just going to go and smash one of these. They're not going to do that here. Not one of them. The only Liverpool player who got booked was Harvey, who came on as a late sub. None of the rest of them thought, I'll take a yellow here, just to set the tone, just to try and up the mood. And that fifth goal summed it all up. 
Trent throws it in. Fabinho has a shit touch. Luka Modric, who wasn't a quick player 10 years ago, runs away from him, runs past Basetic, who should foul him, as Fabinho should. Either grab him or kick him, but do not let him past. And then as Modric sails towards our penalty area, there's nine seconds between Modric taking the ball off Fab and Benzema putting the ball in the back of the net. Of the players who were in their half, only Andy Robertson got back to the penalty area. Fab barely got back into our own half. Henderson barely got back into our own half. Trent barely got back into our own half. Basetic ambled after Luca, And when he gave the ball to Benzema, he kind of just stopped rather than continuing on. And when Benzema cuts back to his left foot, he should be there to tackle him. But he's not. He's three yards away because he's given up. Now, I don't want to put the, the blame on an, on an 18-year-old because there's senior pros there that are more at fault, but like a little bit of fucking effort here, lads. You're getting embarrassed in a Champions League game. There's still a second leg to play. You could go to Madrid two down and think, do you know what? It's unlikely, but we've got a chance. You have no chance three down. None. Tie is over. I, my impression of it was in that second half at the start of it was that the Liverpool players kind of thought, okay, so it's going to be a shootout and we're happy with that and did not put in, let's say, the the tackles and the fouls which could have been seen because they thought that they were going to be able to attack their way back into the match, let's say, and they were happy to do that. And so it was much more about trying to get everyone forward and trying to go through the spaces and therefore leaving the spaces, which we haven't been able to defend at the best of times, let alone against Real Madrid. And obviously it worked uh, 0% and we never really had any kind of build-up in that second half at all. But I also think that there was no direction there from the touchline. When like the no. first goal goes in, fine, it's crap and everything, but you know it's a set piece and it's right at the start of the second half. But when things didn't change after 4-2, I mean, I'm looking here for screaming from the touchline to be perfectly honest for direction for a change of personnel or a change of system or if neither of those things at least redoubling the fact that we're supposed to be doing something specific to stop this happening in midfield and there wasn't really any of that at all um it was it was worryingly acceptant of the fact that we were just getting played around like i mean but all of those goals are so easily stoppable. Oh, yeah. All of them. The first one, if Henderson doesn't run away, if he just stays with Vinicius, he can't get the ball onto his right foot to shoot. And I've heard people say, oh, well, he was gambling on the, the ball back to Benzema. Like, unless Vinicius was going to, like, engulf the ball in his leg and shoot it out his arse, it wasn't going back to Benzema because he turned away from that pass. He turned right shoulder. All Henderson needed to do was shuttle him down the line on his left foot. And he could either turn back out towards the corner flag or try and win a corner. The ball was never going back to Benzema. The only player on that pitch who thought it might go back to Benzema was Henderson. Benzema knew he wasn't getting it back. And I've seen people, people blame Joel and Trent Oh, they should have got closer. I'm sorry, they should have anticipated their captain 
running away and not doing his job. That's basically the argument here. That's a nonsense argument. The second goal, Ali just don't fuck about. Simple ball to Virgil or put it in the crowd. But don't fuck about like that. He did the same thing against Wolves recently. The same stupid thing against Wolves. The third goal... Who is coaching the set pieces now? We have Andy Robertson at the front post, then Henderson, then Darwin, then Virgil, no, then Fab, then Virgil, and then Trent, all in line. All in the line. Flat. What are they doing there? It's not a wall. Get out. Get staggered. Mark an area. Don't stand in a line. And all Militao has to do is run across. Trent can't go with him because if he does, Benzema has a simple run round the back and it's a simple ball and it's a goal. He runs from Gakpo's blind side, but all of them lads stood in the line, just look at him. And none of them make an attempt to get to the ball or get to him or do anything. The fourth one, when Benzema gets the ball back from Rodrigo, you've got Robertson, Virgil, and Henderson, all within three yards. None of them make an effort to get a challenge in. None of them. At least two of them, either Henderson and Virgil or Henderson and Robbo, need to get a challenge in. And then the other one of Virgil and Robbo sticks with Rodrigo for the return ball. But two lads stood there. No effort to play the ball. And then that fifth goal, Fab should foul, Stefan should foul. And then Stefan should haul his ass back into the box and be ready to make a challenge. That's five really, really simple goals that they've scored because we couldn't be arsed to do our jobs. And because Alisson had a brain fart. But like, these are not, these are not goals where we've been carved open. These are us repeatedly shooting ourselves in the foot. It's just insane. And the fact that Klopp was stood there looking bemused and not going absolutely nuclear on those players is just, is really concerning to me. It's like he accepted it as well. Yeah, um, like I said, there was, there was, we spoke about this before the game, right? <clears throat> A couple of improved results, for sure. And the improved performances in terms of on the ball, Absolutely. And we saw that again against Real Madrid in the first half. But as I've said before the match, we didn't see an improvement overall. We didn't see an improvement off the ball from Liverpool in those two wins. In the win over Everton, the win over Newcastle, we were not better defensively. We didn't stop the issues that we've had over the last three months. All we did was sort of reaffirm the fact that we're actually, we do still have good players. And when we have the football... We can make things happen, but we didn't stop them doing things. Like we said, Newcastle could have scored three, four, no problem in that game. Yeah, and obviously Real Madrid better, more cohesive together for longer, more familiarity, much better mentality. They did score four and five goals, and that isn't randomly going away after like two games where you don't concede a goal by happenstance more than anything else. A great goalkeeper, a couple of moments of fortune, woodwork, offside flag. These are the only things that meant Liverpool, well, maybe not won, but certainly kept clean sheets. But, like, the thing is, we we started the game 
really well. Obviously, we get the early goal. It's a really nice move. Mo does brilliantly. The great finish from Darwin. The second goal is a comedy of errors. Henderson falls over. Kamavinga falls over. We get the ball back. Henderson overhits the pass to Gakbo. Carviol lofts it back to the goalkeeper. And the goalkeeper takes a hilariously bad touch. And Mo can't believe his luck. But, like, after that, how many shots did we actually have? Like, how many real chances did we have after that second goal? I think one. One real chance. Yeah, most of them and other, than, other than that, we, we're just chasing shadows and falling over ourselves. And I, I don't know who watered the pitch, but, like, they must have also frozen the pitch. Because more lads slipped in and around the centre circle in that game than I can remember in any game at Anfield in the last 10 years. He was actually asked about that post-match, and he said there was no overwatering of it or whatever, and they didn't really know what it was from, but it, it didn't happen the rest of the game, basically. So he said it must have just been something about the early stage or the condition of the pitch or whatever it was. It was a bit of an odd one, but he was asked and did address it a little bit. So since we returned from the World Cup, we have conceded... Three goals to Manchester City in the League Cup. Three goals to Brentford. Three goals to Brighton. Three goals to Wolves. And now five goals to Real Madrid. Carl, when we were great, when we were winning the major honours, we were the best defensive team in Europe. We won those trophies based on our defence. Because we won a lot of games, 1-0 and 2-1. But that defence always gave us a chance. And now, that defence, I believe in large part because they get no coverage from the, in front of them, is an absolute liability. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well... Over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've said that plenty over the last few months. It's not necessarily the line of the defence or the individual players, even though some of them have put in really poor performances individually it's it's where the problems arise from earlier in the moves, earlier in the game before they put the ball in the net, they get there so often uh, it, that's the big problem that Liverpool have and it, it does start all the way upfield but mostly in midfield because there's no, that we've never really been any good at tracking runners from deep, we've never been any good at that, it's always been about either winning the ball really really high upfield or putting so much pressure on them that they have to go long and it's an easy recovery for us, or just gambling that you know the pace and the strength of Virgil and the rest of them will kind of outdo them 1v1. But when they have more sustained possession, when they have 
uh, quite high pressure upfield. We've been rubbish at that for ages. But now we haven't got that or any of the other stuff either. Because there's no... You know, we used to have that incredible midfield net, really. One of the fullbacks, two of the midfielders, and probably one of the centre-backs at times as well. And they were always like between, let's say, 25 and 45 yards outside uh, or from the opposition goal, basically. And nobody could get through that. Nobody. But that's never there now. It's never, ever, ever there now. At most, you'll get a couple of the forwards and maybe a midfielder like Henderson against Everton was running on quite a bit, that sort of thing. Maybe you'll get that, but that's it. There's no net there. There's no protection. There's no pressure on the ball. There's no certainly no cohesion and absolutely no capacity whatsoever to turn around and track back from midfield. No, and you've also got the fact that you have two of your starting midfielders in that game who just don't have the legs. Don't have the legs for it at all now. I mean, Fabinho had probably a decent, I don't know, 35 minutes, but looked completely goosed in the second half. Henderson had a decent 20 minutes and looked completely goosed. Whether whether the mistake for the Benzema goal rattled him, I don't know. But he just disappeared from the game. And I remember he pressed Courtois on about half an hour. Like one of those big stupid presses where he comes from miles out. You know he's not going to get to him. But Courtois made the big error. So, you know, you're trying to get him knocked off his off his stride. But he never even got close to him. Like, he didn't even get into the box. It, it just looked like he was trying to run. And mentally, he was trying to get himself there. And his body was just telling him, no. No, it's, I'm not moving anymore. I ran against Everton. Less so against Newcastle. But I'm not... I'm not capable anymore. And when Jürgen's putting the two of them in with an 18-year-old who who is talented, without question, is talented, and was very good against Everton and decent against Newcastle, but when the other two are that bad, there's nothing he can do. And rather than him lifting them up the way he did against Everton... And they went on to have good games. They dragged him down. And he looked, I thought, overwhelmed by the whole thing. He couldn't get close. For the first 15, 20 minutes, he was snapping at Valverde. He was giving him all kinds of trouble. But Valverde was just running away from him in the second half. The Modric thing. I mean, Luka Modric is not quick. Luka Modric is older than James Milner, Carl. And he was running away from Stefan. Running away from him. And that's not on Stefan. That's on the midfield structure. I, The structure of this team is completely wrong right now. And we have moved from those fundamental principles that we had as a team. And you mentioned that net, that catch-all that we had. Where if a team tried to break on us... They had no chance because, firstly, they'd have to get through the first line, which would be Mo, Bobby with Henderson sort of off, and Mane. And then they'd have to get through the second line, which would be Trent, Fab, Ginny, and Robbo. And then behind them, you had Virgil and, and Gomez stood on the halfway line saying, right, go on, knock it behind us and see what happens. 
we will back ourselves to beat anyone in a sprint. And nobody could get out, and we just suffocate teams. We never got countered, ever, when Ginny was in the team. We were just animals when teams tried to break against us. Countering against us was was death to teams. And now teams are having good old times running through us as if we're not there. Good job we're not playing a team with a good counter-attacking pace this weekend, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a really good job that Crystal Palace have like no creative players or anything who might be able to split us open with a pass or pick the ball up and beat two or three people on a dribble and then open us up that way. Um, instead, we're playing Crystal Palace, who only have Michael Elise and Eberichi Eze, which is just not what I need at this point in the, in the year, Carol. Um, Liverpool Crystal Palace on Saturday. If you can explain to me why this is a quarter to eight kickoff, I'd be very interested in hearing it. Of life and the fact that I'm actually going to this, which means I'll get back. I don't know. Late enough on a Saturday, but not because of the usual reasons people are late out on a Saturday. I just, I don't understand why this game is on at this time. Why didn't they flex the schedule a bit when the Newcastle game had to get postponed because they're in the Carabao Cup final? Why not move some things around and just put us on at a normal time on a Saturday? This is just foolish. Uh, Crystal Palace are a very strange team, Carl. There's a lot of talent in the squad. But this has been a bad season for them. They have won only six games. They have not won any of their last seven games. They've only won once since the World Cup break, and that was against Bournemouth, who everybody beats. They were soundly beaten by Fulham, soundly beaten by Tottenham, lost away to Chelsea, drew at Manchester United and Newcastle, two good results, lost away to United then in the return game, drew at Brighton, Drew with Brentford. I think they're both solid results, but they never really seem to get going this season after the mess of a preseason they had. Other than that spell between the 9th of October and the 6th of November, where they won four of six with only one defeat, that defeat being a crushing 3 0 defeat at Goodison Park by an appalling Everton team. Um, they just, they've never really seemed to find their groove this season at all. Yeah, was it Crystal Palace who in the summer split their squad into two and basically went on two different pre-season tours? Yes, half of them went to Asia and half of them stayed at home because they didn't have the correct vaccine status or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that was an interesting one. It seems to be paying dividends. Um, yeah, one win in the last 12 across all competitions. I mean, dress it up any way you want. That's pretty crap. And it does speak volumes to the problems that they've had. They obviously are without a couple of key players, uh, Wilf Zaha being the main one, but a couple of the others as well have played like quite good roles for them, uh, Tarek Mitchell and the like. But even so, there's a lot of games in there which you would normally expect, at home especially, they'll probably go on and win. You know, the, the, the home game against Fulham was one that I watched on Boxing Day, and they were fairly dreadful. Everything went wrong for them in you know, a couple of red cards mm. and Fulham were very, very good. But normally that's a game you would see a team like Crystal Palace being really, really competitive for. You know, a derby, home support, Crystal Palace fans are you know as good and as noisy as they usually are. But they played that game and then Tottenham back-to-back home London games and lost 3-0 and 4-0 there. And they really didn't look 
Crystal Palace normal, let's say. There wasn't really that no. sort of fight in them. There wasn't the scrappy doggy sort of um, battling qualities that they normally have. As much as they are good and creative going forward, they always scrap. You know, they're always a, a very, very, very difficult team to beat on home soil at the very least. But like you say, it's now what, since late October since they last won uh, a home match. And that was against mm. Southampton, who I think were bottom at the time, if not very, very close to heading that way. Um, there's, there's... And they've since, lo- they've since lost to Southampton as well mm. because they lost three home games in a row, those two hammerings to Fulham and Spurs, and then Saints beat them in the Cup at home as well. Yeah, the FA Cup, yeah. I mean, the, the more recent results, like you say, are, are better looking in isolation. A draw against United is fine, and Newcastle is fine, and even Brighton, 1-1 at home is fine. But when you've gone that long without a victory, when you've gone that long and only kept the one clean sheet in a nil-nil draw... It doesn't feel very good. It doesn't feel very progressive or forward-looking. And to be perfectly honest, you look at the run of results that they've had, and then you look at the fact that they're still 12th, not really mm. in any danger. It, it sums up a, a little bit of one palace, but also two, the state of the league this season, which is That's just a mess. bewildering. It's an absolute mess. It's so, only five points behind Chelsea, who are 10th. That's so wonderful. wonderful. Um, so, you're, as you said, one win in 12, haven't won at home since October. So join us on Saturday night on Post-Match Raw to discuss Crystal Palace 3, Liverpool 0. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time. Um, no, um, it does, it, it, it's, it's all set up for them to beat us, Carol. It's all set up for them to win this game. But we need this game. Like, this is must-win for us, because... We need a. Not only do we need the points, we need a huge reaction to what just happened on Tuesday night. Uh, you mentioned no Wilf Zaha, Sam Johnston also out. Now he's the backup goalkeeper, so probably wouldn't play. But Joel Ward likely to miss out as well. James Tompkins apparently is out. Nathan Ferguson is out. They're hopeful on Tyreek Mitchell that he might come back in and be available to play left-back, which would be a big boost for them because they don't really have another left-back at the club other than uh, Jeffrey Schlupp, who hasn't really played left-back in about five years. Um, There's a lot of good players at the club, though, Carl. And in recent years, and by recent years I mean last year and this year, they have done a really good job, I think, with their recruitment. And this summer, or last summer rather, they brought in Sam Johnston on a free. Not a great goalkeeper, but a solid keeper on a free. Uh, Czech Dukure from Lens, who I think we both very much like, and I wouldn't be against him being someone we're looking at for this summer as one of the many midfielders we need. They brought in Chris Richards from Bayern Munich, a talented young centre-back. Um, and then in January, they bring in Nauru Ahamada, from Stuttgart, who is a very, very good box-to-box ball-winning midfielder, and Albert Sambi Lakonga on loan from Arsenal. Um, a player with a lot of talent, but a player who hasn't really developed, I think, the way Arsenal were hoping he would, but that's also down to lack of minutes. There's a lot of good players here. They've added well in the last couple of years. They've gotten rid of a lot of the older, overpaid, underperforming, Stars of the Hodgson era. I think they've gotten new life out of Zaha, who's been, I, I think, excellent since uh, Vieira took over. But 
I'm just I'm really surprised that they're struggling this much, considering how much talent there is there. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, a little bit that I think again, Palace may be a reflection of the season that a lot of teams are having, but it's a bit easy for everybody just to point to that, especially when they've not got you know European football or the fixture backlog. I do think that a lot of this is to do with um, the younger players that they had that we were talking about, where they definitely have quality, but not there in terms of consistency yet. And when you when you step up from either the championship or becoming a first team player. As opposed to a youth player, you have to find that consistency, and it's a difficult thing to come by. But also, I think it's reflective of the fact that they didn't add a couple of key components that maybe they needed, and that maybe a couple of players have been overperforming. Um, mm. I don't think it's anything specifically to do with uh, Vieira or anything like that from from what I've seen. But obviously, the longer it goes on that they don't get decent results, the more that that's the easy and obvious thing to go towards looking at changing. So. I've not really heard, <clears throat> excuse me, anything in terms of supporters wanting to, to make a change or anything like that. I think that there's a lot of goodwill for what Vieira did last season in terms of the yeah. style of play and the team building. Because uh, let's not forget that was a, a huge overhaul last season that they had. Um, but you know, no question that if certain sides below them hadn't been as, as chaotic and absolutely terrible as they have been, you would quite easily think that maybe another month down the line, Crystal Palace could be down to maybe. 15th, 16th, if they carry on this way. Because like Leicester have been on a, a bit of a better run. Wolves will probably be perfectly fine within the next month. Everton will probably get enough nil-nil draws to, to overtake them at some point. So it, it could get a little bit awkward if they continue a bit of a dismal run. Um, the only thing that you would say in Palace's favour is obviously some of the fixtures after the next couple that they play. It's still not great, is it? I mean, Villa... Away is difficult. City, Brighton, Arsenal, all well above them. And then it's a really, really crucial run, which takes them towards the running. Hello. I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week so make sure you listen to everything we're doing on epl index and follow us there on twitter at epl index thank you bye-bye yeah and that's the thing like they're only six points clear of west ham and as we've seen with the league this year you can be jumped by three or four teams in one week for example nottingham forest are a point behind leicester are two behind wolves are three behind um, Wolves have an inferior goal difference, but you know, one bad result for Palace, one good result for Wolves, they could jump them. It's obviously on points, uh, Forrest and Leicester can jump them, and then you do start to worry. Like, if Everton were to win a game and Palace lost, now it's only two points from Everton to Palace, 
And if Bournemouth were to win again, again, there's two points. If if West Ham win, all of a sudden you go from being six points above the drop to three points above the drop. And that is when people will start asking questions. Now, like you, I think there's a lot of goodwill towards Vieira. But this is a very, it's a very patient fan base. And let's be honest, they've had to be a very patient fan base. And they're probably also a fan base who have, I don't know if Stockholm Syndrome is the right word here, where they're um, sympathetic towards their own abusers. But if we look at a list of Crystal Palace managers over the last 20 years, and for younger listeners, I'd ask you to uh, cuff your hands over your ears because you don't need to hear these swear words. Uh, Steve Bruce, Ian Dowie, Peter Taylor... Neil Warnock, Paul Hart, George Burley, Dougie Friedman, Ian Holloway, Tony Pulis, Neil Warnock, Alan Pardew, Sam Allardyce, five games of Frank De Boer, and Roy Hodgson. That, Carl, from the appointment of Tony Pulis in 2013 until the retirement of Roy Hodgson in 2021, so an eight-year stretch, is about as much gammon as is consumed by the entire rest of the UK combined. Uh, yes, it is a, a particular type, isn't it, if we're, if we're being completely honest. Five games aside, of course, uh, of the ball, which, you know... As That's a, like mistakenly putting in a little bit of spice into something when you're actually reaching for something like, you know, salt. You've instead put in some chilli flakes instead of salt. That's what the De Boer bit is. It's it's a bit of flavouring that probably shouldn't really be there on your gammon, but it's a little bit different. <laughs> oh dear. Well, fair play to Vieira because he has changed, like I said, such a lot. It was such a big turnover, but also, as you allude to, let's say, the, the culture of the club, the team, the dressing room, the playing style and everything else. So... I, I, I enjoyed watching Crystal Palace last season, I must be honest. Um, I thought they were a very watchable side. Even if they're not yeah. winning, they they you know they tried to change the build-up play so much and tried to make things happen in a very particular way. It's not really happened for them this year, but I think there's still another good couple of levels for them to build on there. So maybe, maybe this year is just a case of getting through it, like it is for so many other teams. And as long as they finish somewhere in mid-table, then maybe next year you're looking at much more from... Chris Richards, let's say. Maybe you're looking at much more from maybe Jean-Philippe Mateta uh, comes into it a little bit more. A bit more regeneration maybe in, in the defensive line. Mm. Uh, you know, they got themselves a good central defensive partnership last season, but on the sides, maybe there's still a little bit more uh, additions to be done, especially on the... Certainly on the a right-back. Yeah, definitely right-back. You can't... You can't go into a season with Joel Ward and Nathaniel Klein as your right-backs and just think that that's acceptable in the Premier League in 22-23. That, that's an abomination. Um, but even then, I think that even like the people like Michael Elise and, and Ebe Eze, there's, there's, there's still a lot more to come from them. Mm. Not just in consistency and output, but also in... Development. Yeah, development. The, basically, the, the mental capacity to play in the Premier League on a week-to-week basis. Lise and Eze have still made like what ten sub appearances between them this season. They're not yeah. still every game guaranteed starters, and they, they Palace need them to be basically. They're not a million miles away, but if you're still relying on Jeffrey Schlupp to play twenty twenty five games a season in on the wing or in central midfield, depending on the system, 
And you know you've still got a little bit more to get out of some of the players, like Edson Odward as well, but he's basically half and half starts and sub-appearances. They need more from some of them players. Yeah, they they really need one of Edward or Mateta to establish themselves as that starting number nine so that they can move away from any kind of reliance on Jordan Ayew. And Jordan Ayew belongs in the same group with Joel Ward and, and Nathaniel Klein. He was a good Premier League player four years ago for a Crystal Palace team that had no real ambition. For a team that clearly has some ambition now and wants to play a certain way, he doesn't really fit, but because the others haven't haven't forced him out of the team, Vieira keeps picking him because he would rather get six out of ten from Ayu than he would the potential three out of ten he might get from Eduard or Mateta, counterbalancing the eight out of ten they'll give him some weeks. Um, I, I I do I think there's real potential with this group. I think goalkeeper is something they should address in the summer. I know Gaeta is a solid goalkeeper, but I think you can upgrade there. Uh, I don't think Sam Johnson is the answer, but he might be short term. Right back is definitely the big one. I like what they're doing at centre back with with Anderson and Guehi, and then you've got Richards as a solid number three. I think if you can add one more quality young centre back to that mix, uh, you'll be in good nick. Uh, maybe that's someone that they have in their academy. I don't know. Um, I like Mitchell at left back. I think Nathan Ferguson was the one they were hoping would get fit and, and fill the right back spot, but obviously he's he's just injured all the time. <clears throat> In midfield, Dekure is an absolute mainstay for as long as he's willing to stay. And I think Ahamada will form a really good partnership with him. Eze, I mean, the other thing to factor with Eze is this is his first full season back after the Achilles tear. Because he missed a chunk of last season. So that's a long injury to work your way back from. So again, I think we'll see a lot more from him next season. Olise is only 21. We're definitely going to see a lot more from him. Wilf will probably leave, which is a big blow. It's such a shame as well because they finally put a team around him that can play to his strengths. So I think they'll need to look to do something in attack this summer. And obviously fill that right back spot. And then it's just about fattening out the squad and getting more of these players in so that, you know, when someone comes along and takes Dukure, that you have somebody in situ that you can just plop in there and he's ready to go because he's accustomed to your system. I think they've done that with Malcolm Abue. If and when one of the wide players leaves, I think he's the one that will step in and, and get more and more game time. He might even be the one that they're looking at as the the, the Wilf um, successor. They've struggled to score goals this season. Wilf has six, Eduard five, Eze four, Olise two, and nobody else scored more than one. Only 21 goals scored in the Premier League. That's obviously disappointing. They do have a goal difference of negative 10, but only 31 conceded, Carl, does point to a fairly strong base to at least hang your hat on. Yes, that's that's fair, but I think a lot of that did come from uh, the start of the season. They were they were relatively strong uh, in terms of the form, like you mentioned. They had a decent run around the end of the first third of the season, and there were a lot of clean sheets in there. But as I mentioned, mo- most recently, and certainly since around the Christmas period, it, it's been conceding a lot more regularly. Um, 
I don't think that this is an easy game for Liverpool by any stretch of the imagination, but mostly because we don't really make games easy for ourselves anymore. We don't have that dominant outlook. We don't really have the absolute assurance. We don't really have the fear factor of other teams now that we used to just go into games with. And that is probably something as much as Liverpool's own defensive deficiencies, which does cause us problems because we're, we're almost having to battle two things now when we go and play. We have to fight our own sort of insecurity or, or lack of initial dominance, let's say, and then actually go and win the game as well. It's almost like a, a normal Premier League game back in the day, um, which is fine and normal, but is not what Liverpool had become accustomed to. It's not almost what part of this team has been built on. Uh, yeah, no, I, I do fully agree with that. And speaking of said Liverpool team, I think there needs to be some changes made. <clears throat> I don't think Klopp can just run the same team out again and try and get a reaction from them. I think that would be probably the worst thing he could do. Um, I think he's got to be re- take a really hard line on this because, like I said earlier, it's not the, it's not the defeat that bothers me. I don't care. Like you, you're going to lose games. That's fair enough, but. To just roll over the way they did, that's that's what worries me. So we'll have no Ramsey. Um, he's had major knee surgery. We might not see him again till you know, Christmas. Who knows? Uh, Thiago is out for another couple of weeks. Diaz is out for another couple of weeks. Ibu might be fit to make the squad, but unlikely to be fit to start. Joe Gomez was taken off in the week, and it turns out he's got an injury as well, so we'll see there, and then Artur is still working his way back, if in fact he is a real person. So, with that being said, Carl, there isn't really any choice other than Alison, Trent, Joel Matip, Virgil, and Robbo at the back, or is there something else you think Klopp might do? Uh, I don't think there's anything else Klopp will do. No, there are other options, but whether they would necessarily make Liverpool any better is questionable. I mean, like, you've always got Costas there, but Robbo has been probably the least problematic member of the back four over the last few weeks. You've got a goalkeeper after your own goalkeeper made mistakes, but actually your goalkeeper who made the mistakes has still been your best player of the season. So yeah, the only other one is Nat Phillips instead of Joel Matip. And we all know that that's not going to be the case. Yeah, we know that's not going to happen. So no real point in in digging into that. Is there a possibility he plays James Milner right back? It's Crystal Palace, so definitely a possibility. But it's it's definitely something he's done in the past. Um, Mozart, though, so he might not be feeling so, you know, masochistic about it. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um... Let's assume that the, the back four is, is that back four then. Trent, Joe, Trent, Joel, Virgil and Robbo, each of them in questionable form. Robbo, like you said, at least with Robbo, his performances haven't been great and his decision-making has been an abomination. Um, but his attitude and his application and his desire and his willingness to sacrifice for the team, they're all still there. And I think if you're looking at our squad this season, him and Allison and some of the forward players are the and you know the kids as well. But you you don't expect kids to to let you down in terms of of, of effort. Um, but they're the only senior players 
whose effort level has been consistently where it needs to be. And that's concerning to me. Uh, midfield then. I I don't know, Carl. I'm I'm tempted here to suggest that we go with a very changed midfield with Nabi Keita and Stefan Basetic as the left-sided eight in Nabi, the six in Basetic, even though I prefer him as the left-sided eight, and Curtis Jones on the right side of a midfield three. And I know people will moan and groan and whinge about Curtis, but the one thing nobody will say about Curtis is that he won't put in the effort. I mean, I'm up for it, but I don't expect that many changes, to be honest. And I don't expect... That's two changes, Carl. No, 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 sorry. I'm, I'm in the level of dramatic changes. Like, Curtis has not really been involved in some of the squads recently. And Naby, after... I don't know, being a starter all of a sudden is like a not even off the bencher in a couple of games recently. So, I think James Milner's starting in midfield this one. That's what I think is going to happen, to be honest. Same James Milner who came over and rolled over with the rest of them during the week. That same James Milner who has been absolutely dog shit all season. If you could only take one out for this game, which one of the two would it be? Henderson, without question. Without question. Because he's part of why Fab is struggling so much. Henderson's not struggling because of Fab. It's the other way around. One of them at least tries to do their job. The other one can't be arsed. So if you're taking one of them out, you're taking out Henderson. Well, I mean, I would be taking both of them out anyway, I think. Take them both out, uh, strap them to a rocket, and fire them in the general direction of Italy. And if it doesn't get there, that's all right. But just send them as a nice present for the Italian league. Here he is, our lads. Here's two new marquee midfielders. Quabble, quibble among yourselves as to who gets them. <laughs> oh, that would that would be fine. Um, Italy, not really renowned for doing that type of deal. Uh, certainly not unless they can take them on loan for three years first and then renegotiate the fee afterwards. You know what? I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, take them on loan for two years and then you can have them for free when their contracts are up. Yeah. Deal. i I um, I got to be honest and say, I think Fabinho in this type of a team is done. Um, I think... If you're playing a, a deeper defensive line or a lower block and you have him sit in front, there's every chance that he's still a very, very good defensive midfielder. Yeah. And can't turn. He has no recovery pace now. He has no nope. acceleration. He cannot overstretch. He just seems utterly incapable once he's turned around. Like the Benzema, Benzema's first goal, he was passed around like... Yeah. The only thing I can compare it to is like, you know, a six-year-old when a couple of the dads at five-a-side start knocking the ball around between them and the six-year-old just runs after the ball for a couple of seconds and gets nowhere near it. It was... I, I was thinking of, a, of an owl fella ho- horsing himself up out of a chair and not being able to get his legs under him and doing that kind of weird little stutter step thing that owl fellas do while they put their arms out to try and hold on to something so they don't fall flat on their face. <laughs> Oh dear, well... It's, it, 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 you're, no, in this team, I think the only role for Fabinho moving forward, genuinely, and I love Fab, I think the only possible way that he has any value to us next season is if he's the third or fourth centre-back. And even at that, it's not ideal. No, I don't want him at centre-back. I think it's it's a... 
but you can't play him in midfield anymore. No, I think not unless, like you said, you're going to completely change the makeup of the team and become a much more defensive team. And and I don't mean defensive, great defensively the way we used to be. I mean flat out defensive, deep block of four, double pivot sat in front, and Trent is a midfielder, not a fullback. That kind of defensive. Which isn't going to happen under Klopp. No, I don't see it at all. Um, I think for this one, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Bastic, Keita and Milner. I would be stunned to see Curtis Jones coming from nowhere and play. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Jesus Christ. Oh, how is this what we are, Carl? I don't know. How have we gone from being, like, undeniably the best team in Europe pre-pandemic to a, a laughing stock? Like, we have been battered four times in recent weeks. Four times. Not all by great sides. No, this is not a great Real Madrid team. The only, the only That's not a great Brentford team. It's not a great Brighton team. There are no great Wolves teams. have scored 12 goals all season. They get three against us. I think the only other solution, let's say, or attempted solution that I could see coming in this game is Jota coming in to start and play 4-4-2 and Jota on the wing, basically. Jota on one wing, Naby and Stefan as a double pivot. I don't know. I still think Milner plays, so... Could you sit Milner in front of Trent? Just sit him in front of Trent, the way Harvey sat in front of Milner against City, and just say to Milner, you don't move. You stay in that role, and when Trent goes past you, you stay there, and you kick anybody that comes near you. You could. You're just going to play in this square and nowhere else. You could, but I don't expect it. I think no, I, don't I, I think Milner is lining up in central midfield, one way or another. He could bring Harvey into midfield. Harvey's a lot more likely than than Jeremy Curtis. At this point. He's not as good as a midfielder. He's not as good. He's a, a more talented all round player. Yeah. He's not as good as in midfield as Curtis is, and I don't care what anyone says. No, he's 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 Albi Moreno two point off the ball. At least Curtis can do his job defensively. He's a more impactful player on the ball, obviously. There's no doubting that. But Harvey Basatich Nabi, I mean, it's it's a young, young midfield, but 
At least they'll try. At least they might give a shit. More running there anyway. I think yeah. I think Harvey and Cater is too cavalier, let's say, off the ball mm. for them to be paired up. And I think Milner's playing. So, you know, whichever way you try and chop this up, Milner is in my 11 for the Palace. Harvey Bassetich-Milner is probably what Klopp will do. If he didn't even bring Naby off the bench against Real, I'm not sure we see Naby again. We certainly don't see Ox. No. No. That front? Same front three? It has to be, doesn't it? It has to be. Well, the other two have done absolutely nothing to suggest that they're capable of coming into the team. Unless you're changing the shape, as you as you suggested. Um, I mean, the other option, and this is just an option, could you play Gakpo left in a four, Harvey right of said four? Yeah, you could. And two in the middle with Darwin and Mo up front? Yeah, yeah absolutely could. Um, I, more or less, that's what I expected Gakpo's role to be this side of Christmas, after we'd done the double pivot a couple of times beforehand, mm. but... Obviously, that's that's not the way that they've decided to go in the end. But um, I, I don't think the front three will be changed because we did play so well in the build-up in the first 20 minutes or so against Real. And so I think that that's kind of what we'll be grasped hold of and tried to replicate against one, uh, not as strong a team, and two, in a game that we kind of have to go for and win anyway, don't we? There's no real point in us looking to not lose at this stage. We need to make up some ground. Yeah, we do. We do. And we need to start stringing wins together. We go Crystal Palace, Wolves at home. And then Manchester United will come to town and they're in quite good form. Then we go to Bournemouth. Then we play Fulham at home. Then it's City away, Chelsea away. Then Arsenal home, Leeds away. Then it does get a little bit easier. But uh, yeah, we need to start getting points on the board and they need to start happening quickly. Prediction time, Mr. Matchett, what say you? A mighty 2-1 to Liverpool. I'm going to go 2-1 to Palace because you put James Milner in the team. Milner scoring a penalty. He is in a shame. Why would he not even take a penalty? <laughs> He's not even going to take a penalty. Mo was taking the penalty. And if Mo was still on the pitch, you can be certain Milner would have been brought off 10 minutes beforehand. When was the last time James Milner scored a goal? I don't know. James Milner has scored seven open play goals since we signed him. Seven. And he's not a defensive midfielder before anyone starts on with that nonsense. 26 goals, 19 of them have been penalties. He hasn't scored since the year we won the title. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. I'm just looking at the league table here, and we've all been going on about the uh, you know games in hand over Newcastle and all the rest of it. We've got the exact same record as Brighton, except they've scored one goal more and conceded one goal more. We've yeah. been drawn lost yeah. the same amount of games. Yeah. Brighton. Brighton. And, who, and they're in better form. <laughs> and they're in much better form. Brighton, who, who had their sporting director stolen before last summer, who had their manager stolen in September, who have changed how they play, and, and yet are... Lost their key forward, who scored a hat-trick. Lost their key forward. Yeah. It's good stuff. And it's good stuff. And somehow, you know, are, are still better than us. That's fantastic through 22 games. Wonderful stuff. We say we're, you know, still in the mix for top four. I put more faith in them for top four. 
Ah, uh, Jesus Christ. Right, we're gone. Good luck. Thank you very much for listening. Carl, anything to plug before we go? There are lots of other sports this weekend if you don't want to watch Liverpool on a Saturday night. Yes, there is lots of other sports this weekend. And the Six Nations is back this weekend. And you can watch Ireland France Italy. Then you can watch England beat Wales. And then on Sunday, it's France versus Scotland. Nice. Unfortunately, none of them are at the same time as ours. Said others. Listen, listen, I will have no disrespect of the great sport on this podcast. Um, it's just unfortunate none of them are on at quarter to eight of an evening. You can watch the highlights at that time, probably. I do have one piece to plug, actually, after the um, Real Madrid match. I did a piece on Vinicius Jr., who played well and scored, you might have noticed. And, and did. in the wake of scoring said goals, did not get racially abused. So a little bit of something that we were talking about after yeah. the uh, Scouter pod last time. I uh, wrote a little bit on it as well. Yeah, it must have been it must have been nice for him because you know he could actually score his goals, play his game, and not not worry about people you know throwing certain objects at him or you know verbally abusing him in a racial fashion, which is just so disgusting. Uh, so well done to everybody in and at Anfield that night for you know being normal, decent human beings and not putrid scum. Um, that'll do us folks thank you all for listening and uh, yeah we'll see you on Raw for more misery bye bye we hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically there's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show the best way to get in touch is over on our free discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.